listening to Demise of the Podcast with Patrick Attaway, my podcast where I discuss writing, specifically today my own writing, because we're doing a very brief Surviving New America retrospective episode. And what this is going to consist of is me reading Nero's first chapter, which is also the first chapter of book two of Surviving New America. For those of you who are unaware, Surviving New America is my third novel that was originally two separate novels, and I edited them together. This is not a professional podcast. I'm going to mess shit up now and then, including the word edited or demise. Sometimes I've said that kind of weird, but aside from that, I don't have a whole lot of time. This is going to be almost like a bonus episode where I'm just reading, and I must remind you, this is not an audiobook podcast, but I felt obligated to put this out this week even though I'm not going to be around Saturday or Sunday for that matter to do it. Maybe something will change, I don't know, but for all intents and purposes this is what you're getting for the week and then I'm going to start working on the Nero series for the podcast which is going to be a lot for me. So without further ado, I don't know if I've read this on the podcast before because I could have sworn I did read Gen Z's monologue, but uh, if you've heard it before, I'm sorry, you're going to hear it again. Gen Z sits down with the circle. Everyone in the room watches him open a manila envelope and pull out photographs to pass around the table. I can't see what they're looking at from here, but their bemusement mixed with silence tells me it's awestruck worthy. I could leap out of this closet, let them point their guns at me, fire off a few rounds, and stop them all here. Dad told me the element of surprise is only worth a damn if you can not only make it out alive, but if no one else can get seriously hurt. What they don't know is that Gen Z isn't the toughest guy in the building. He's just a good actor compared to me. Since our government, if you want to call it our government started new america they forgot america never really died because of people like us for over 50 years our family survived without these old politicians telling us what they think the law should be we made our own law because there wasn't any law to stop us did anyone in this room forget that no one moves as gen z scopes everyone's face out a month ago He used the same table to operate on Josiah DeMarcus. Four guys held the kid down while Gen Z took a pocket knife and sliced open his stomach. Atlanta police found Josiah splayed out in a ditch near Perimeter. Per Gen Z's family law, it doesn't matter how far you come in in his world. If you even raise an eyebrow, he'll make an example out of your betrayal. This shit you see in these pictures is what we protected each other against for decades. We made our own organization, our own Atlanta, to survive as people like ones in D.C. Before Genetic Motors shut down operations in this city, they made at least 20 of these you see here. Fucking Hatcher wanted to use them against his own people. The supposed new Americans who might rebel. Our country was built on a goddamn lie. The lie of rebellion against oppression and freedom for all. And these things are sitting in a warehouse waiting on a new rebellion to squash. The real trouble is nobody out there seems to fucking care 
that we're not armed for foreign war anymore. We only look inward. Domestic war. They want to destroy the family, the remnants of America, the real America. Not this made-up new American bullshit. Supposedly, President Hatcher contracted genetic motors to create tanks and other armed vehicles, but the Supreme Court never approved this and GM eventually folded. When Hatcher left office, the Supreme Court passed an act against offensive or defensive manufacturing during peacetime. Despite that most of the world has electricity again, we don't have any international conflicts for now. People like Gen Z thought Hatcher wanted to create a war at home merely for his own amusement and means of power. Before Hatcher passed away, he confirmed his greatest fear for New America was little factions like the Loeb family rising up against the government and ruining what he worked for as president. We need just one, Gen Z says. One for now. Two of you are going to the genetic holdings warehouse in Kennesaw. One of you needs a flatbed big enough to hold the thing, and you're going to take it to Ackworth. Anyone gives you trouble like the cops or security, you get the fuck out of there. We'll come back for it later. Do I wait and slash the flatbed's tires or find a way to alert the warehouse security that someone's coming to steal a tank? What is Gen Z planning to do with the tank anyway? Drive all the way to D.C. and blow up the White House? He can't teleport it there. What's hypocritical about Gen Z is that he's obviously going to hurt innocent people in Atlanta to make a point about the government somehow harming America by establishing power back in 2085. He's exaggerating the Loeb legacy, too. He was a little kid back in 85 and never knew life before New America. Once Gen Z walks out, the others follow each other outside. I go over to the table and look at the photos, and there are tanks lined up like cars in a parking lot. Someone who works at the warehouse most likely took these too. Gen Z probably has an in there, so calling security won't help. If anything, I should let them try taking the tank. APB isn't going to bother with someone calling about a tank because they wouldn't believe such a thing. Outside the bar, I get on the payphone to call Dad. Like me, he served in the Army for mandatory military service but re-enlisted and tried to make a career. He didn't maintain himself like a soldier after they discharged him. He knew someone like me before she left Atlanta in 2095. All he told me was that she was crazy. Did you get to see Gen Z? Dad asked. He wants to steal a tank, I say. Some guys are rigging up a flatbed truck in the scrapyard nearby. Can you follow them? I don't know if it's a good idea to get in their way, I say. I might have to hurt one of them. Nero, Dad says. You can stop them without killing anyone. Cover your face so they can't make you, they can't make you later. If more than one of them come at me, how can I keep them away without mortally injuring anybody? They'll just keep coming if I don't stop them. Doesn't matter, son. Don't kill. You don't have to. Why is my dad such a pacifist? He's right, of course. They can't kill me, so I don't have an excuse to kill them even in self-defense. I think the better option would be stealing the truck once they're almost there. That means I have to get on the back without them or anyone else noticing. This is so stupid, I hope I get an award. 
I'll put it on my parents' mantle and they can bury me alive in the backyard. Grabbing my ski mask from my back pocket, I wait outside the gate of the scrapyard, kneeling down in the darkness, hoping some drunk doesn't walk out of the bar and shout about some creep probably waiting to jump a woman. As soon as they come through the flat with the flatbed truck, I use the fence to help me jump a little higher and land on my stomach as my body starts to slide backwards. My left hand catches the tarp they have tied up, so I'm able to pull myself up before my feet touch the road. This truck isn't even big enough to carry one of the tanks, so why am I bothering? These two goons are going to dry for half an hour for nothing. I wait until we're well past the bar and scrapyard before making my way to the rear window, and I stand up without considering the driver might see me in the mirror and slam on his brake, but that's why my head ends up smashing the glass. Who the fuck are you? The passenger asks. Before I come up with my superhero title, he fires around from his nine mil- mil- <laughs> his nine millimeter at my head. I can read, I promise. Reaching inside, I grab the gun as he fires another round, which happens to go onto the driver's arm. He's screaming in my ear while the shooter is trying to get his gun back. I guess I didn't break the rules if someone else shot the driver. But as he speeds forward and his associate punches me in the face a few times, I sense that I'm not nearly as crafty as I thought. Pulling out from the broken window, I toss the gun on the street and the driver breaks again and his buddy gets out of the truck with a revolver. I bet he got it from the glove compartment and it was next to a half-empty fifth. Shoot me again, I say. I ran that gun up your ass. Take off the mask, he says. I jump down and get him in the neck with my elbow. He's got a heavy trigger finger because the revolver hits me in the stomach and the bullet tears my black shirt. Grabbing him by the pants leg, I drag my new friend over to the open passenger side door to see the driver balling up a jacket against his gunshot wound. Aren't guns expensive, I ask. Do you think Gen Z will be upset when you show up without the guns or without the truck? Let's go, you cum catcher, the passenger yells. I kneel over and punch him in the throat, which should at least make it painful to yell. The driver bails out of the truck and runs across the road. I don't need to chase after him. His friend keeps wanting to fight, though. Do you want me to tie you up and run over your face with this thing? I ask. Just like my dick slapped your mother's face last night. Oh, my mother died in childbirth, I say. It's not uncommon for children in the Trinity to accidentally kill their mothers fuck you say about the trinity you're gonna die slapping him in the face i grab my buddy by the hair and force him to see the hole in my shirt but there's no blood or wound he starts breathing heavily and tries to scramble away but i press my knee into his stomach and stabilize his head mister i say i'm not going to kill you but i think jinzy Loeb might if you show back up at that bar he starts crying and heaving so i stand up to let him go The asshole goes in the opposite direction of the driver. I climb into the flatbed truck and realize I don't know where I'm taking this thing, but I needed to get off the road soon unless I want more lobe goons after me. The first chapter of book two is supposed to establish not only Nero, but what New America is really like after book one, because book one takes place over the course of about seven years, I want to say. I think it starts in 2000. 95 and it ends the year that Nero is born which is 2102 
And this chapter and the rest of book two take place in 2127. And of course, if you followed the Nero series before that I wrote, uh, his chapters go from 2130 to uh, 2137. So if you buy the book Toxic Masculinity, you can read those. But the upcoming Nero series is further exploring this world of new America that I've created, which is slightly science fiction, but more like very gritty, almost Batman-like. And Nero's obviously very inspired by Batman. I mean, he has the no-kill rule. The way he talks is slightly like Deadpool. Uh, he's pretty clean cut though and he's got this father who was in the military much longer than him every man and I think every woman too every person once they reach a certain age has to serve a, a, a like a three year service in the new American military and so care if you didn't read the first part of surviving new America he is not Nero's biological father he is actually someone who was put in charge of Nero although it's never specified who now as the author I could tell you who but for my own speculation as because I'm well aware of what happened my own speculation is that Birch has always been aware of Nero's existence and therefore he placed uh, Kier in charge of uh, raising Nero but it's never directly said within the novel what actually happened is in book one uh, what the hell is that guy's name that's based on Joe Exotic he has a weird ass name uh, Monsieur Sean he and Birch have this formula that they're working on or rather Mansur makes it and Birch helps him with it's not even Birch, is it? I think it's Gentry McCord. Yeah. See, I haven't read my own book in so long that I, I can't keep all the characters straight. But Gentry McCord becomes friends with Mansur because they're working together. And so uh, Mansur sees that there's an issue with the population. And so he tries to come up with this chemical to help people essentially get horny for one another. And uh, they used three couples and one of those couples is Nero's parents and they're I don't think they're ever given names they're just two people who have a baby and Nero's born the moment when um what the hell is her name Holner dies Holner is part of the trinity and she's actually one of my better developed uh women characters I really like her but I haven't read much of the book since I put it out. And it's actually out of the first three novels that I put out, Surviving New America is the only one that I haven't re-uploaded the manuscript for to change things because Demise had some formatting issues and Price, I don't know that I've changed anything from Price to be honest, but I know that I've had to fix things for Demise, which is why I tell people, if you downloaded Demise of the Trinity on your Kindle and you didn't download it or like early this year, you should re-download it to get the 2022 edition because the early paperbacks of that book 
are not great just because of the formatting issues and some other issues that were present in the manuscript. And so this year I went through and I fixed a lot of that because I was periodically just re-uploading the manuscript to, to fix all that. But this year I buckled down and I read the whole book and just fixed everything that needed fixing. You, you got to understand, I, I wrote my first two novels within the course of almost a decade. It took me eight or nine years to finish Demise of the Trinity. So Surviving New America is still relatively fresh in the, in the back of my mind because I didn't even spend a year writing that one. And Birch, my latest novel, I wrote it in the, the course of, I want to say 90 days, honestly. But Nero is an important character for multiple reasons. He is someone who survives the ending of Surviving New America. Rosa does too, but it's up in the air what happens with her in the end of Surviving New America. If you read um, the Nero series and then you read my novel Birch, you see that Rosa and Birch are not together and they were never really together romantically. And Nero essentially resumes his relationship with her at the end of 2000, um, 2137, which is the last short story of her chapter, if you prefer, of the Nero novella. I am pumped up on adrenaline. Yesterday was my birthday and I had a lot of sugar and just I'm I'm recovering from that so my my ability to put out a sentence from my lips is is kind of limited I feel so this is not a full episode and I'm sorry for that because I'm going to be away this weekend so I need you to be patient with me but I'm going to say that the Nero series which is going to be six episodes is going to be way different. I am going to have a brief intro for each where I talk. It's not going to be a full 10 minutes. I don't think I went back and I listened to my first episode of the previous Nero series. And I talked for like 30 minutes before I read any part of that story. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with anything before I get into the main course of this series and um, I don't know how people are going to respond to it because for one thing if you're not familiar with my previous work which you don't need to be to enjoy it but it is violent at times so it's very dark it's very violent there's cursing in it if you're not used to that because you're you know six or something but I look forward to doing it. It's going to take a lot out of me. It's already taken a lot out of me. But this has been Patrick Attaway with Demise of the podcast. Happy reading. Happy week. Have a wonderful time. Mm -hmm.